Church, please be seated. Well, again, good morning. At this time in our worship service, uh, we want to give particular attention to God's gift and life in the birth of Mila Spadaro. So if you guys would come on up, we would like to... Rob and Lauren have expressed their desire to dedicate their daughter to the Lord. And so we would like to take that moment. And if you guys could come as well, come on up. Welcome. It's not normally the part you, place where you guys stand around, but <laughs> exciting for you guys. As we all know, parenting is both a great privilege, also a, an amazing but challenging responsibility. And we all understand that if we've been parents, we understand that. And we also know that this journey is fraught with wonderful joys and wonderful highs and big challenges, especially as she starts to grow and starts to say no and starts to say, I want to do it my way. <laughs> and, um, but as we look, begin this journey and as we think about this challenge here, I'd like to read some scripture and I'd like to just kind of reflect a little bit on what scripture says. And I'll just paraphrase a few of these areas, but it says, but here are some expert excerpts from scripture. Psalm 12, 127.3 says, children are a gift from God. And then whoever receives and welcomes a little child in Jesus' name receives and cares for God's child. That's in Matthew 18. Then it goes on and says, is it, not the, is it not the Father's will that even one child should be lost to him? Is it not the Father's will? In other words, the Father wants all those children to come to him. Therefore, hear, O people of God, listen closely and obey the commands of God that you may be blessed in your child raising. And that's in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 3. It says, The Lord is our God and Him alone. You must love Him with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. Always thinking about the Lord's guidance to you. And I love how this passage talks about it because this continues from Deuteronomy in Deuteronomy 6. And it says, Teach His word to your children. Talk over the things in His word when you are at home or walking or at bedtime and before breakfast. And let your whole life give evidence that God's word is at its center. And I love this whole idea because there are going to be days you're going to be doing stuff and she's going to go, why? And you're going to have those chances at those moments and at those times to say, well, this is why. And you start to walk through the things of what you would believe and point to to Jesus. In Jewish tradition also, they would have memorials at different parts through, we do this in our country also, but they would have different memorials of where God had shown up and God had done things. And so if they went down to the Jordan River, you would see places where they had stacked, and stacked stones and made an altar where they crossed through the river. And, and they were there to remind people so that people would walk by and say, well, what is that for? And would be serve as reminders. And there will be reminders in your journey as well so that you can remind your daughter of these amazing things that God has done and who God is. So your presence here gives indication of your intent. But so your purpose is clear to us all, there's a couple of questions I'd like to ask you guys. Okay? We've talked about this a little bit. Do you publicly wish to present Mila to God to recognize in recognition of the high privilege and unique responsibilities that God has granted you? Yes. Okay. 
Do you recognize and solemnly declare your dependence upon Almighty God for the wisdom, help, and blessing you will need to guide and nurture Mila? All right. And do you promise and commit yourselves to teach Mila the truths and callings of the Christian faith? And will you, through purposeful prayer and intentional life choices, seek to lead her to personal faith in God through Jesus Christ? Yes. All right. Braille and Scott, you guys have chosen to stand here with your brother and sister and your niece to come alongside and support her and them in this unique way. In particular, you said we want to serve as godparents and to care for her in this unique way. And so I have a couple of questions for you as well. Over these coming years, you will be confident, sounding boards. What do you think? What should we do? What's your opinion? You'll be advisors. And as this happens, do you commit to reminding Rob and Lauren and Mila of the wisdom of God's word and to find those better life solutions that come from God and his word? All right. And do you promise to encourage Mila with the truths and callings of Christian faith? And will you, through personal prayer and intentional life choices, seek to encourage Mila to personal faith through Jesus Christ? All right. Let's have a word of prayer together. Can we do that? Father, as we come this morning, I want to say thank you so very much for what you do for us. And Father, your intention and your plan has always been to do amazing things through the family. And so, Father, we ask for your blessing on this family, your protection, your watch care, your oversight. Father, we ask that as they walk this journey, Father, that they would seek you and pursue you, that they would pursue wisdom from your word, insight from your word, and that they would be a family that seeks to honor you in all areas of life. Father, we ask for your blessing, for your provision, and for your care in their life. Lord, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now there's one more step. So I want to talk to the rest of you. Family. So maybe not quite in the same way or maybe in similar ways, but they have a unique role, but you're still family. Okay? And you also are going to be sounding boards and you'll also sometimes, you'll have opinions and they may, may want to hear them, but they may not want to hear them. So where's mom and dad? <laughs> you know, mom and dad know the same ways. You know, we, we balance that thing. We, we often sit, look at our kids and we have ideas of what they should be doing. The challenge is to learning to silence your tongue until your, your, your kids ask. So, but as a church family as well, there are going to be times where we're going to be involved in Lauren and Rob's life, and we're going to be encouraging them. They might be a part of a life group. We will be here at church with them. Some of us will be caring for Mila, either in nursery or Kids Connection or maybe in youth programs. And so as we walk this journey, I would like to ask you to make a commitment as a church family, we will play a role in, in Mila's and this family's life. Do you acknowledge and accept the responsibility of assisting Rob and Lauren in loving, teaching, and training Mila in the ways of God so that she may in due time receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? And if you all are willing to do that, why don't you stand together?
Now, you see a bunch of people standing. That means you can tap shoulders. Okay? They've said, we're going to be willing to come alongside and help and support and encourage. So we want you to feel free to take advantage of that. So you have a community of people, not just your immediate community of people, your family, but a broader context of family that are willing to come alongside and help you. Okay? Can we pray one more time? Father, I thank you for this amazing demonstration of your love, your kindness, your grace, your faithfulness. Father, we ask for your blessing now, now and forevermore. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can sit down. Thanks. My pleasure. I don't know about for you guys, but for me as a pastor, these are among the fun things of life. A lot of, lot of fun, really great, and um, really cool. Excited for you guys. Well, as we have been walking our journey, as we shift gears, I just want to review again where we are in Hebrews. And so it's been kind of an interesting journey. We're coming to the end of Hebrews, and, but just a reminder... He's overwhelmingly writing to the Jewish community, but he's writing to the Jewish community, those who have come to a point in their journey where they have put their faith and their trust in Jesus. But at some point in their journey, some of them have chosen to step back. They have chosen to back up. And they've started in their mind and in their hearts and in their thinking to create a little distance some maybe a little bit, some maybe a little bit more between them and their walk and their relationship with Jesus. And as he's writing, the, the writer is writing to the Hebrew community, he's, he's writing to these Jewish Christians, he's saying, guys, don't back up, I want you to lean in. I want you to lean into this position of faith. I want you to lean in to Jesus. I want you to trust him. Don't back up. I want you to lean in and trust And a number of things have been going on. And in particular, in the last few weeks, we've seen a number of things in these last few weeks. So he's talked about how the righteous will live by faith. We saw that in Hebrews 10, verse 38. In God's righteous ones, those who have come to faith in Jesus, they will live by faith, but God has no pleasure in those who step back. There's no pleasure. God has no pleasure. Verse 39 says, We are not those who step back, but rather what? We are those who have faith and are saved. And so he's talking about now this real tension between faith and trusting and leaning in versus that tension to step back and step away. We then get to verse 11, verse, chapter 11, verse 1, and we see what is faith. Faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. And again, as we talked about that, we, really, we tried to use that example of shopping on Amazon. That's faith. You're looking at it online, you see the pictures, you see all that stuff, and you're thinking, that's what I want. But you really don't know what it is until it shows up on your doorstep. That's faith. It's not faith to go to Lowe's. It's not faith to go to Home Depot. 
Now, I'm not saying don't go there. I'm just saying it's not faith because you're going to go there and you're going to pick it up. You're going to look at it. You're going to hold it. You're, 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 you're not exercising faith. You're exercising something different. In fact, you're exercising a lack of faith because you don't believe that Amazon's going to deliver or wherever else maybe it is you're ordering from. So faith is taking that step. Evidence of things hoped for, the substance of things not seen. Then Hebrews 11.6 talks about why faith is so important. Let's just kind of go back and read that. It's not on the screen, but let me just read that here again. It says, Now without faith it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith is really, really significant. Learning to trust God and to follow God. And then last week we talked about Hebrews 11. And in Hebrews 11, we, we see the hall of fame of faith kind of is what many will say over the years. But in Hebrews 11, he, he starts to walk through the history of the Jewish community and the history of all these people who have gone before. All these people who have walked and lived by faith. People they've read about. People they've heard about. And then I love how at the end he shifts gears and he says, and it's not just those people you've read about. It's not just those people you've heard about. We're also talking about so many other people. Your aunts, your uncles, your grandmas, your grandpas. And he talks about other people that scriptures don't talk about, but they would know people who have chosen to walk by faith, who have chosen to step in and trust God, as opposed to stepping back and not. He then brings us to where we are this morning. And I want to kind of pick up a little bit from where we ended last week and then come into chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Because these are great, great verses. He says, All these were approved through their faith. Talking about all those people in Hebrews 11. All those individuals written about in Scripture. And then also all those family members and other individuals that we've known over our lives who have chosen to walk with God. And he's saying they were approved through their faith. But they did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. Then verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's have a word of prayer, then we'll jump into it. Father, just as we take some time this morning to look at your word, to think about the the challenge of faith, to think about the challenge of letting go of those things that we would call sin, that we want to pursue at times as we think of the reality of your discipline in our lives. Father, I would ask that you would guide us. You would direct us. I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So let's go back to verse 39 and verse 40 again. It says, All these were proof through their faith. 
But he says something here, but they had not yet received what was promised. And I like what's being said here because it's interesting. He says, since God has provided something better for us, better for all of us, so that they would not be made perfect without us. God had waited so that all of us together would cross the finish line together, is kind of what he's talking about. And then he goes on then to chapter 12, verse 1. And I love this because this is really for us as we kind of think through this journey. Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Now let's just pause for there for a moment. I love the language, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Has anyone ever gone to a sporting event? If you have, wave at me. Okay. So you understand what's talk, being talked about here now. So I, I went with a friend of mine a number of years ago to an Eagles-Giants game. Okay? Now, this is what I learned. I learned, personally, the best, 100% best place to watch the football game is on my sofa. <laughs> a bunch of friends who would go over the years to football games and they said oh we're going to the Giants game we're going to the Giants game and most of my friends are up north instead of west so we're going to the Giants game going to the Giants game they, not many of them went to Jets games and um, so and I would just go oh I'm going to have a better seat than you because I get instant replay. I'm not cold. I can pause it because you have the DVR and all that kind of stuff. I can pause it. I can go to the bathroom, get something to drink, and I don't miss anything good that happens. And when something really wonderful happens, they play it again and again. And on top of all that, if I wait a little bit, I can skip past the commercials. So lots of, hands down, best place to watch the game on my sofa. But I've been to many sporting events. So my kids played sports. Eugene in particular played sports. And so we've been in basketball games, track events, all that kind of stuff. You think about the crowds that are there watching. And the idea here is that all of these individuals that have gone before, they're in the stands. And we're the ones on the field. We're the ones lining up to run that 100-yard dash. We're the ones getting ready to go into the game. And you sit there and you hear the crowd (sighs) cheer and roar. And as he's talking about this, he's talking to these individuals who said, listen guys, you need to understand something. You're running the race. You're running a race that God has called you to run. And there is a crowd around you cheering you on. Now, this is a hometown crowd. This is not a visiting crowd. What happens when you're in a visiting crowd? You get booed, you know, drop the ball, trip. Come on, get them, you know, all the other kind of stuff. We're not talking about the visiting crowd. We're talking about the hometown crowd. And the hometown crowd is cheering us on. They want us to do well. In fact, if you've 
been functioning, particularly in high school sports, if you come to a game and you have someone in the crowd visiting and they start getting nasty and talking smack to the kids that are playing the game, next thing you know, there's someone standing next to them saying, it's time for you to go. Because what they don't want is they don't want any of this negative garbage going on. Cheer their kids on. Shout loud. But don't tear anyone else down. But cheer them on. And this is what's going on. Cheer them on in a crowd. But this is a heavenly crowd. These are those who have also run the race. So as they're cheering you on to run the race, they've also been runners. They've also been athletes. So they thoroughly and perfectly understand the race you are running. And so they know how to cheer you on. They know how to encourage you to do well. And so as we first of all start to look at these verses, one of the things you need to understand is that you're on the field and around you. You can't always see them, but around you, is an audience cheering you on. Now, periodically, when you're on the field, you'll take a moment to kind of turn around to look at the crowd. And periodically, you'll see the athletes and they'll do this, right? Get loud and that kind of stuff. But most of the time, so with football, when the ball snaps, the guy, the tight end is not looking at the crowd going like this. If he's doing this to the crowd, his quarterback is getting sacked, okay, and he's going out of the game. So, he, no, he's not focused on the crowd at that point. He's focused on the game. He's focused on the event. Guy playing the basketball game, the guy pole vaulting or, or running the 100-yard dash or the mile, they're not looking at the crowd. They're looking at the finish line. We need to be focused on the race that is in front of us. Now, I don't know how this crowd really works. But what I know here as I look at this is the reality that there is a crowd cheering us on to do well, to finish well, to be successful in the running of the race. But then he says something here that I thought is really interesting. Because he introduces something that he really did not talk about much in all of the book of Hebrews. There's a couple of hints, but he doesn't use this language hardly at all in the book of Hebrews. The writer. He says, let us set aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Now, a number of times now through the book of Hebrews, he's paused. Excuse me, he's paused and he's looked at the reader and he has said to them, Now, listen, you need to be serious about your walk and your relationship with Jesus. You need to take this seriously. Because if a person is playing games with us, they may indeed not be in Jesus. And and if you're not in Jesus, you might think you're good. But if you're not in Jesus, you're still far from God. And instead of being under blessing, you're under wrath. But he hasn't used this language of sin. 
pretty much only two times. Now, a number of times the word is used, but it's almost consistently used throughout the book of Hebrews, talking about Jesus and how Jesus came to make an atonement for sin, or how Jesus came to die to take away sin. But only twice did we really see this conversation taking place in the book of Hebrews about saying no to sin. Two places. So the first is in chapter 3. So let me, let, me, let me get there where I can see that. Chapter 3, verse 13. He says, But encourage each other daily while it is still called today, so that no, none of you is hardened by sin's deception. That's the first time he really raised this conversation and talked about the reality of sin. And then the other time he talked in Hebrews 11, in this hall of fame of faith, and he talked about Moses. And as he talked about Moses, he says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. But then he comes back again to these verses here in verse chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance in the sin that so easily ensnares us. And I ask myself the question, why is he saying this? What's going on? Because he hadn't talked about it a whole lot. Here's my thought process. The Jewish community, these Christian followers of Jesus, find themselves in a real point of tension. Some people have said some things, and maybe had they listened to some people teaching some things, as well as the pressure and the push and pull of what it means to walk with Jesus. And so as they're wrestling in this place, they're saying, okay, what do I want to do with Jesus? Do I want to lean in and just go full out as a follower of Jesus? Do I want to really lean into that commitment to Jesus and really make Jesus the center and the focus of my life? Or do I just kind of want to back up and back away? and give some space and create a little bit less tension in my life. Now here's what I think is going on. This move is sin. Let me do that again. This move is sin. That move of backing away. That intentionality of saying, I'm going to create space. I'm not going to really walk deeply in faith. I'm going to, I'll be more socially Christian. I'll be more culturally Christian. But I don't think I'm really going to walk into it. I don't think I'm really going to step into it and to lean into it and really walk with Jesus. I'm going to think, I think I'm just going to back up and back away. And as he's talking about this, I think he's identifying that that is sin that distracts us. He says, lay aside every hindrance in the sin that so easily ensnares us. 
Now let's pick on athletes again. The people goes the guys that run. People that play active sports. The football player, he's got pads. But we don't see them. You don't see them carrying a boombox. You don't see them carrying a suitcase. You don't see them carrying a computer. You don't see them carrying a backpack. You don't see that stuff. How about runners? You see, ever see a runner running in a four-piece, not four-piece, three-piece suit or two-piece suit? You know, you see the runners running down the road and wearing a nice pair of wingtips. Okay, and, and you see them top hat, suitcase. Now, chasing the bus, maybe, but running a race. You don't see it. Why? Because they've laid things that hinder and they've taken off those things that hinder and they're putting on those things that give freedom. To free them to run. That frees them to run the race well. And so the challenge that's going on here is people are standing here. There's things that they should be putting off. And things that they should be putting on. And that affects which direction they go. It affects whether they choose to back away. Or it influences their desire to step in. Now, what are some of the things that... I would like, I like the word, the, the hindrances and the sin that so easily ensnares us. What things ensnare us? Particularly as we kind of stand in this threshold spot right here. What kind of things kind of want to grab a hold of us and kind of pull us back? Popularity? Friends? How people are going to talk about us? Our concern for what people are going to think about us? And all that peer pressure today is really interesting because it's not just whispered down the lane today. Right? It all happens at the fingertips today, doesn't it? Or maybe like this. As people text, talk on Facebook, talk on all sorts of other places, and as we say things about one another, talk about one another, did you see, you know, the emoji bug eye? Oh, I didn't see that. Tell me how that happened. Okay? All that stuff is going on right here. And these are things that ensnare us. These are things that start to trap us and that pull us back instead of freeing us to step in and to trust and to follow. So I really appreciate how he is talking about this. And this is the challenge for us to look and to examine the heart, the attitude, the mind, the heart. What's the attitude going on? But he says, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Now here's what's going on. The people that step back, are they in the race? No. They're stepping away from the race. If you've ever played sports, did you ever have a guy in a team... When the coach looks down the bench, so-and-so, in the game. And they go, no, I don't want to go. Ever seen that? So then he goes to the next guy, you, 
in the game. The kid, the kid on the other end, he's glad to be quote unquote a part of the team. He doesn't mind practice, but when it really comes time to running the game, playing the game, doesn't want to do it. But we are called to run the race. We are called to be in the game. And to run the race well means we need to be willing to set aside those things that hinder the running of the race. We need to set aside those things that want to take us out of the race and set us on the bench or in a stance. Those are the things we need to set aside and get rid of. Now it also intrigued me as I kept on going. Give me a second. Coffee's a good thing. He goes on to verse 2. He says, Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And he comes back to this whole conversation and talking about this whole tension place, this tension area where people live. And he says, Now, let me give you one more example and remind you once again of one more example. And that's the example of Jesus. Jesus stepped into that place of tension. Jesus stepped into that area of hardship. Those areas where you struggle, those areas where you have difficulty, Jesus did that as well. He stepped into those areas, but he didn't back away, but rather Jesus ran the race well for you so that you could know forgiveness, so that you could have a relationship with the Father, so that your life could be changed and transformed. So keep your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. And again, I love this statement, for the joy that lay before him. He endured the cross. There's hard stuff at times that takes place as we choose to step in and walk with Jesus. And again, What's going on? The people that are standing here, they say, if I step in to this place of faith, if I really lean into Jesus, there's going to be grief, there's going to be hardship, there are going to be challenges, and those challenges are hard. People are going to be unkind, I'm going to get persecuted, I'm going to get harassed. That's hard. He says, but Jesus endured all of that. He endured it all. Look at the example of Jesus. And in fact, he despised the shame, the mockery, the ridicule, the harassment. He treated that as nothing. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He did all of that so that you could have life. Look at the example of Jesus. Don't back up. He's saying, lean in. Then we come to the next part. He says some things that are really interesting. I just want to touch on this briefly this morning and then we'll we'll pick on, on, on this more and walk through this more next week. He says, looking at verse 3, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, so that you won't grow weary and give up. Talking about Jesus, he endured incredible hostility. Hostility enough that says we're going to kill you. Hostility enough that says we're going to hang you on a cross. One of the worst ways a person could be executed at that point in history. 
And he says, in struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In the point of resisting sin, you have not yet gone as far as Jesus has. You haven't done that yet. And then he says something else. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved from him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Now, I'm going to stop here for today, but there's a couple things I want to say. A true child of God is going to be disciplined. You guys are going to start having the joy of disciplining. Not yet. Not, not yet. But it's coming. Here all of a sudden, one day she's going to look at you and she's going to go, No! Or you're going to ask her to do something and she's not going to do it. And you're going to say, I have to discipline her. I haven't had to do this yet. And you're going to come to this crossword. You're going to say, it's going to have to happen. And you're going to get all that kind of stuff. And you'll make her sit on a chair and it's going to sound like you've beat her to a pulp and you haven't touched her with a feather. And yet, she's going to make it sound like the worst thing in the world. Okay? That's discipline. Discipline comes in. And God is saying... If you're being disciplined, it's because you're my son, it's because you're my daughter, and it's because I love you. But let me tell you a little bit about discipline. Has anyone here enjoyed being disciplined? No. Some of you have had your parents say, go get a stick. Okay? I had a friend of ours out in Minnesota, and and she was a, their farm farm girl, and she would say when Dad we did something wrong and we were going to get spanked, Dad would tell us to go get a switch, and we would have to go get it, and if we came back with something that wasn't substantive enough, <laughs> he would send us back to get another one. So not only was the discipline the spanking, but then the discipline was also having to go get that which they were going to be spanked with. I still remember my dad had a whole series of discipline approaches. So we would get spanked, we would, get, we would have our nose stuck in a corner. I don't know, is anyone, my, my boys have experienced stick your nose in a corner. Um, but th- that's kind of a fun one. You would just go put your nose right in that corner and you couldn't see anything, do anything. My more enjoyable one when I was younger is my dad made me sit on the chair. So we had a, so let's just say this is the living room and the stage is the alcove. We had a a house kind of like, we had a little alcove in the living room. And so right up there was the TV. And so the TV is facing that way. And dad made me sit in the alcove. So I could listen to the TV, but I couldn't see the TV until I realized that I could see it in the window. (laughs) And so I was sitting fine, being disciplined, sitting in the chair until my dad realized what I was doing, and so he pulled the shade. (laughs) So we can smile over some of the things of discipline, but we don't enjoy the discipline. 
Discipline is unpleasant. Discipline is not intended to be enjoyable. And also when we discipline ourselves to do things, often it's not something that's enjoyable. And we quote-unquote discipline ourselves because we know we're doing something that is hard, but we're also doing that which is hard because it's going to produce a positive fruit in our lives. And same thing with our parents. We discipline our kids. We're doing something that is hard. We're doing something that is unpleasant. But we're doing that because we're trying to teach them something that they need to know. Something that they need to understand so that they can flourish and be successful in life. And God is doing the same thing to us when he disciplines us. But you know what's interesting? Sometimes discipline looks a lot like the problems that come with not walking with God and running from God and people giving us a hard time for walking with God. So we're going to start to talk about that a little bit more next week and how do you figure that out and differentiate that? How do you see that? But the challenge in front of us, lean in. We're on this spot where we are challenged to step into faith and to trust Jesus. But as we wrestle with that, sometimes we're tempted to step back. And this is where sin starts to enter in and to distract. And we need to lay aside those things that hinder and distract. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus and lean into Jesus, holding on to Jesus, running the race well. Let's pray together. Father, I want to say thank you again so very much for your richness, for your goodness to us, for the help on learning what it means to run the race well for your glory and for your honor. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Christian, you are in a race. How seriously do you take it? What sins are weighing you down? Maybe you need to ask God, show me what's weighing me down and help me to throw it off. And you're going to fall, but you can get back up again. You can do this. Run the race. It's going to be worth it when you stand before Jesus. Run the race. You can do it. And if you're here, maybe you're far from God and don't really want anything to do with him, or maybe you're wrestling with God and and believing in him. You're not just weighed down by sin. The Bible says you're enslaved and dead in your sin. The only hope you have is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came here just like Hebrews talks all about, was your substitute. He took the punishment you deserve on the cross, died the death you deserve, rose again so that you can be saved in the race. If you're wrestling with with believing in Jesus, like come talk to one of us. That's why we're here. But you can trust in Jesus right here, right now. He died and rose again to save you. And what we're going to do now is we're going to pray, and the offering plates are going to go from the back forward. If you're new here, there's no obligation to give. But we give so that we can continue encouraging Christians 
run the race, you can do it. And so we can tell those far from God, he died to save you so you can run the race. And we do it so our missionaries can go and, and tell the same message around the world. So as I pray, I would encourage you to pray. If you're here and a Christian, ask God to help you run the race, to expose your sins, to give you the strength to fight them. And if you're here far from God, talk to God. Ask Him to help you with your doubts, to help your unbelief. Let us pray now. And after I pray, the plates will pass from the back forward. You can stand as it passes and we'll sing to our great God. Lord, I thank you. Thank you that we can run the race. I pray for every Christian in this room that they won't give up. That they will keep getting back up and keep running. I pray we will be a church that encourages each other to keep going. It's hard sometimes, God. Help us. And I pray for anyone here that is far from you, I pray you will show them their sin, help their unbelief, show them that you are their only hope because you died and rose again. Bless this offering, Lord, that many will hear, believe, and run the race till the end and will be able to stand before you. Jesus, I pray these things because you are the only one that can help us. In your name, amen.